1 Samuel chapter 16 verses 1 to 13. The Lord said to Samuel, how long are you going to grieve over Saul? I have rejected him as king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and get going. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem because I have found my next king among his sons. How can I do that? Samuel asked. When Saul hears of it, he'll kill me. Take a heifer with you, the Lord replied, and say, I have come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will make clear to you what you should do. You will anoint for me the person I point out to you. Samuel did what the Lord instructed. When he came to Bethlehem, the city elders came to meet him. They were shaking with fear. Do you come in peace, they asked. Yes, Samuel answered. I've come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Now make yourselves holy, then come with me to the sacrifice. Samuel made Jesse and his sons holy and invited them to the sacrifice as well. When they arrived, Samuel looked at Eliab and thought, that must be the Lord's anointed right in front. But the Lord said to Samuel, have no regard for his appearance or stature, because I haven't selected him. God doesn't look at things like humans do. Humans see only what is visible to the eyes, but the Lord sees into the heart. Next, Jesse called for Abinadab, who presented himself to Samuel, but he said, the Lord hasn't chosen this one either. So Jesse presented Shammah, but Samuel said, no, the Lord hasn't chosen this one. Jesse presented seven of his sons to Samuel, but Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord hasn't picked any of these. Then Samuel asked Jesse, is that all your boys? There is still the youngest one, Jesse answered, but he's out keeping the sheep. Send for him, Samuel told Jesse, because we can't proceed until he gets here. So Jesse sent and brought him in. He was reddish brown, had beautiful eyes, and was good looking. The Lord said, that's the one, go anoint him. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him right there in front of his brothers. The Lord's spirit came over David from that point forward. Then Samuel left and went to Ramah. May the living word of God speak to us through these ancient words of scripture. We are in the middle of our new series, Connections, Building Authentic Relationships. And this theme talks about how we have relationships with everyone around us in the world, from the world to ourselves. And we're seeking in these weeks to build authenticity into these relationships, that we can share authentic relationships that create closer connections, both with God and with one another. 
So last week we explored our relationship with God, the most personal relationship with, that we have, the one with our creator. Many times we hold that relationship back, that we think that we have to keep it where it feels safe and that we can't really say or think or do things with God because we can't do them in an authentic way because God only allows for our praise or our petitions or our thanks. But we discovered last week through the story of the prodigal son that God doesn't only care about our good side. To be in authentic relationship with God means to be honest and to be real. And it means that like the older son, who was furious when his father was forgiving and welcoming of his brother who had squandered his inheritance, that we too can be honest with God. That we can admit when we're angry. That we can admit that we feel betrayed or even feel forsaken by God. And that doing so creates that authentic relationship that we seek. So today we apply this concept of authenticity and authentic relationships to the relationship that we have with ourselves. The next most personal relationship that we have in this world. And it seems a little bit weird to say the relationship that we have with ourselves, but because relationships are usually two-sided. How do we actually have a relationship with ourselves if we're only one single person? But it is actually probably the most foundational relationship that we have that exists in terms of our identity, in terms of who we are. Even though we have this relationship with God that might be the most personal, the one that we have with ourselves is the most formational. You see, God is constant. That relationship doesn't rely on anything except for God's goodness, and that never changes. But ourselves, that relationship is fundamental to the way that we exist in the world. The way that we think about ourselves, the way that we speak of ourselves, the way that we love ourselves, these impact every single thing that we do in this world. It impacts the relationships that we have with others, both with our closest family and loved ones and with our most casual interactions with strangers. It impacts the understanding of how we fit in the larger world and what we can contribute, what we believe we can contribute. And the foundation of this relationship is something that I call self-talk. You may call it that too. It's that voice in your mind. It's the internal, ongoing commentary about yourself, our inner monologue about ourselves. It's what you say to yourself about yourself. And that's where relationship comes in, because now we have two sides. It's this constant refrain <clears throat> of things that you think about yourself or things that you tell to yourself, like judgments, internal judgments, or pep talks, or love or hate. It's that little voice inside your head that tells you what to believe about yourself. And sometimes it's encouraging. I've got this or I can do this. But oftentimes it is negative. I'm not actually worthy. I'm going to fail. I'm not good enough. There's a song that came out um, a few years ago called You Say. It's by Lauren Daigle. And this is the opening lines to that song. I keep fighting voices in my mind that say I'm not enough. Every single lie that tells me I will never measure up. Am I more than just the sum of every high and every low? Remind me once again just who I am because I need to know. It's a powerful song. 
It poses what we think about ourselves, that inner monologue or self-talk, against the world and the identity that God speaks of us. If you don't know it, I encourage you to find it on YouTube or somewhere to give it a listen. It spent 132 weeks at number one on the Billboard Christian chart. That is the, the record holder for that. And it even crossed over into mainstream. It was played on non-Christian stations. But perhaps that's because it's so relatable and because it bears the soul of anyone who has ever doubted themselves. This is the chorus. You say I am loved when I can't feel a thing. You say I am strong when I think I am weak. You say that I am held when I am falling short. And when I don't belong, you say I am yours. And I believe what you say of me. It's almost like a mantra of changing that inner dialogue. It goes away from that self-doubt, even though it will come and reminds us instead of ourselves about what God says about us. And if you think that this is new under the sun, as they say, there is nothing new under the sun. <laughs> this, in fact, is very biblical. David, the story that we heard today, a calling and his anointing, David, the king of Old Testament fame, he faced this very same self-talk inner monologue issue. And you wouldn't think it, right? He's lauded as the greatest king in all of Israelite history. He's maybe remembered as, the, as best as the one who took down Goliath in that famous story of David and Goliath. He was chosen by God. That was our story for today. He made mistakes. You may recall Bathsheba. It's a twisted story of infidelity and covering it up. He ruled over the glory days of Israel. Israel was strong. He led them through battle and they won. They were their strongest when David was their leader. Yet despite all of this, David had terrible self-talk. He had a destructive inner monologue that really had an impact on him. And we know this from the Psalms. It's not what we always get from the Bible in the Psalms. Oftentimes the Bible is reporting what happened or reflection on what happened or interpretation or like from Jesus with teaching. But David in the Psalms is very real. He's very honest. It's the inner thoughts of this leader. You see, the Psalms, many of them anyway, are his most private and personal prayers and meditations. It's almost like reading David's diary, his most personal thoughts laid bare for us all to see. Now, some are, of course, praise or thanks, or for victory in war. Those are probably more relevant to David than to us. But there are many others that are very hard to read because they're painful. They're filled with guilt and shame and feelings of inadequacy. And they reflect this feeling of not being good enough. The modern word for this is sometimes used as imposter syndrome. Um, and it's the persistent inability to believe that one's success is deserved or has been legitimately achieved as a result of one's own efforts or skills. In other words, you deserve to be there, yet you don't feel like you do. David suffered from imposter syndrome. And yet despite this, he was Israel's greatest king. 
You see, the Messiah had to be from the Davidic line. Joseph, Jesus's earthly father, was from the Davidic line. You heard the word Bethlehem in there, that Jesse was from Bethlehem. All of this points to the coming Messiah, that one day the Messiah will come from the line of David. And it reflects the way that all the future generations thought about his reign. In fact, he was chosen by God because of his heart. Almost the opposite of all this negative self-talk. It wasn't by his stature. It was very clear, even though the Bible did describe his stature. God said, I look at the heart. And so a little bit of, of context for this Bible story. Samuel, who was the one who anointed David, he was a judge. And he was given the task of anointing the next king. He had ushered out Israel's period of judges and ushered in the time of their kings. And so with the first go at it, it was Saul. Remember in the beginning it said, why are you so grieved over Saul? Saul was a tragic figure. And his kingship failed <laughs> miserably. And so Samuel was a little bit nervous to choose the next king because Saul was actually chosen for his stature, his outward appearance. But now Samuel is instructed to choose for his heart, and that is what David is. God chose David because of his heart. And yet, despite being God-chosen, the anointed one, David still has this negative voice in his head. He could not shake the things that he had done wrong, like Bathsheba on the roof. He was filled with shame and with guilt and feelings of not being good enough or worthy. And so it's not a very big jump, I don't think, to parallel ourselves in this situation. We don't always feel worthy. We don't always feel good enough. We don't always feel like we are chosen and loved by God. And our inner monologue would likely reflect that. Imagine if your inner monologue was written out for the world to see, like David's was, what would it say? So often we are critical of ourselves, and it stems from that self-talk and what we say about ourselves and to ourselves. And so this morning I'd like to offer you three re's. <laughs> three re's that will help you to combat this for yourself and have a more authentic and true relationship with yourself. The first one's a bit of a stretch to realize Realize that that voice is not speaking truth. Realize that voice is not speaking truth. The sentiments aren't for your real self. You're not inadequate. You're not unlovable. You are not a failure. Our self-talk commentary is not helpful. And so we have to realize the impact that it has on our mental health and on the relationship that we have with ourselves, our view of ourself. Realizing, becoming aware is the first step to overcoming it. The second re is to refocus. And this is where God comes in. Listen to God's voice about you. David could not listen to God's voice saying that he was the anointed one. He could only listen to those inner thoughts, and that's where the Psalms come from. But by virtue of being the anointed, God declared the goodness of his heart, his soul, his self. God looks at the heart, therefore God knows. God says that you are loved, even when you feel unlovable. God says that you are welcome, even when you feel like the outcast. God says that you are redeemed even when you feel like you do not deserve grace. God says you are strong even when you feel like that strength is failing. 
God says you are lifted up, even when you feel like everything is crumbling. God says you are a child of God, no matter what you're feeling. So refocus. Refocus on what God says about you and what God promises to you and what God offers you in the form of love and hope and peace and grace. And then finally, the third re, resolve. Resolve, commit. Make a commitment to yourself. Make this commitment to yourself. Commit yourself to telling yourself this to changing that inner monologue. Commit yourself to not letting yourself slip back into hearing and believing those false voices. Resolve to stay on task, to love yourself the way that God loves you, to speak to yourself the way that God speaks of you. Realize, refocus, and resolve. These are three steps to a more authentic relationship with yourself by cutting out the negative talk and changing the content of your inner monologue. And it's more than just psychology or mental health. The negative self-talk goes against God's vision for you, goes against God's word for your life. God calls you loved and strong and redeemed and lifted up. Living into something other than that is an affront to God's very good creation of you, for who you are and for what you bring to the world. So live into it. Let God's voice be the voice that you hear. Let God's vision be the one that you see, for God looks upon the heart, and God has looked at your heart and has called you worthy, has called you good, has called you filled with purpose and filled with love. Listen to that voice and believe it and say it to yourself. And your understanding and relationship with yourself will be the truth that God believes and says about you. <laughs>